Welcome to the Reimagine Medicine podcast. We explore topics that are shaping healthcare with specialists who are leading innovative change. For older adults, a hospital stay can create challenges beyond the medical condition that caused them to be hospitalized in the first place. When considering the baby boomers, it's estimated that 20% of the entire U.S. population will be retirement age by 2030, and they are the topic of today's conversation, which is building age-friendly healthcare systems to serve the healthcare needs of older adults. We're gonna look at the components of healthcare that affect the patient's abilities to be independent after leaving the hospital. I'm Dr. Johnny Lifshitz. I'm Dr. Katie Bright. And we're faculty members at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. Thank you for joining us. It's great to have you with us. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and their guests and do not represent the opinions of the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix or Banner Health. Do not use this podcast for medical advice. Instead, consult your personal family physician for medical care. Joining us today is Dr. Demet Agarwal. Dr. Agarwal is the Director of the Division of Geriatric Medicine at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, and a leader at the Center for Healthy Aging at Banner University Medical Center in Phoenix. Dr. Agarwal, can you explain to us why a hospital stay for a geriatric patient can be somewhat precarious and often challenging? So when older adults get admitted to the hospital, it certainly is a dangerous place for them. Um, we see patients, for example, hip fracture patients who are completely independent at home, had a fall, had a fracture, come into the hospital, the data shows that 30% of them will develop delirium. And delirium is easily missed. You can uh, have complications from delirium. It can uh, lead you to have uh, uh, problems with uh, falls, problems with um, uh, having difficulty with eating, asp aspiration risk, um, uh, you land up uh, being... Uh, confined to bed, and that itself can increase risk for placing Foley catheters and stuff like that. And all of those lead to further risk, like infections, fractures, other issues that can happen. We see a lot of older adults, when they get discharged from the hospital, they, will, they might be at risk for losing their independence. There are studies showing that if patients stay in the hospital for seven days, and if they don't mobilize, there is a chance they will lose one ADL. So from that perspective, imagine a person who comes in, who is driving in the community and now lands up in a skilled nursing facility and for several months after that cannot go back to driving in some form or another, he has lost independence. And that is why it's so dangerous when older adults come into the hospital. That's a great answer. And I follow your ADL being activity of daily living. Can you give us a distinction of delirium versus what we may associate with other age-related conditions such as cognitive decline or age-related dementia? How does del delirium differentiate there? Absolutely. And that's a great question, Johnny. Uh, we see this all the time. Uh, we see an 88-year-old person who is in the hospital. Uh, the nurses are following this patient for several days. And then the geriatric service gets called and um, um, we, we get a description of the patient that uh, John is a 88 year old person. He is uh, demented and he is, uh, he's a sundowner. He sundowns in the evening. And um, um, uh, whenever I hear the word sundowning, it kind of raises a red flag for me because uh, a lot of times what we see in practice is actually delirium. 
So sundowning, for example, is a particular term which came into existence for patients who were in nursing home who had dementia. And because of dementia, they have sleep-wake cycle changes because of which they get agitated towards the evening time. And that is where the sundowning word came along. And when we speak with family members, uh, reliable informants about these patients, oftentimes we hear that they're completely independent at home and there is no cognitive impairment. And that really is a delirium. Making that distinction, what is their baseline state and how you are seeing them, where you have to be very cautious when you see an 88-year-old person and assume that this is dementia because that is where ageism comes in, right? All older adults don't have dementia. They don't have cognitive impairment and we have to be very careful, especially in the hospital setting when we say someone has cognitive impairment. Oftentimes it is delirium. Making that diagnosis of dementia, you have to get reliable information from a reliable informant. And I want to take it just a step further because I'm thinking about a, a, that patient that you talked to us about who is, uh, all, for all intents and purposes, is able to take care of themselves, falls and breaks their hip and now is in the hospital, essentially confined and isolated, e.g. COVID conditions of being mm -hmm. confined and isolated. So is that delirium that we're talking about associated with being essentially disconnected from routine, disconnected from our, our families? Absolutely, that is such a big risk, especially when you are in such a difficult time of your life, you are in the hospital, you're in pain, you have a hip fracture, and now you're completely disconnected from family members. That certainly is a huge risk. Our management of delirium includes trying to mimic the environment like patients have at home, calling family members to come in, staying with them, uh, talking to them about the good old days, talking to them about their routines at home, making them comfortable. And with COVID that has changed everything completely. Mm -hmm. We see delir delirium that we were treating before is much more difficult to treat now in COVID when patients are, patients are isolated because of social distancing. It's a huge challenge. That was a really good question, Johnny, and it was one of mine too. And I'm wondering if we can take it to the ambulatory world now just for a second. Um, is that the biggest challenge you're seeing in this unprecedented public health crisis? Is it social isolation? Do you think it's access to care? Is it food shortages? Like, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge right now during this COVID era for our elderly patients? Um, social distancing for older adults certainly is a challenge because one, they can't get access to people. They can't get access to food sometimes. They can, can get access to care and that can be challenging. People who are coming into the house, they have to be extra careful. They have to make sure that they are safe and they don't bring the virus into the house. And just imagine older adults who had a support system around them and because of COVID now, that support system is not there. And their um, uh, difficulty with some, sometimes using technology can be a challenge connecting with them. It really increases risk for depression. We call it the three Ds, delirium, dementia, depression. And they, that can be seen in every single transition of care. In the hospital, delirium is more common. Dementia in nursing home facilities is a common thing that we see. And depression in the outpatient setting uh, with social isolation is a big issue. And sometimes, just to piggyback as a primary care doctor, sometimes we see what we used to call pseudo-dementia, and it's all related to depression. And, and I think maybe there's a risk of overlooking that and assuming, hey, this is dementia, when it really could be all related to Absolutely. depression, anxiety, and other things if we 
we can treat them and, and get that under control, we can see a, a vast improvement in their cognitive Absolutely. function. When we talk about the hospitalization-induced delirium that you're talking about, this doesn't happen with walking through the door. I mean, this is a process. Can you give us some Im impression of the time frame by which this, uh, this may emerge? Absolutely. So delirium research uh, has been done quite quite robustly in the surgical population. And the reason for that is because patients are coming in for elective surgery. We know their baseline state because they've been seen in the outpatient setting. And now when they come into the hospital, when they develop delirium, you know that it is delirium. It's not a cognitive state, which we were not aware of, right? So from that perspective, we have seen delirium can occur within the first 24 hours of coming into the hospital setting. So it's very common. It can happen very easily. And the, the, the thing about it is you will see moments when the patient is completely fine. And a few minutes later, he might have signs of impairment. And the challenging thing is the hyperactive delirium, which is the less common one is, which is much more evident when patients start getting agitated, the nurses will see it right away. But when you see this person who is sitting in the ED in the gurney, and he's not talking to you, he's not asking about what his needs are, that's hypoactive delirium. And that's gonna get easily missed and cause more complications. So it can happen at any point in time, especially for an older adult, there is a 60% risk of delirium in older adults as compared to younger populations. So it's, it's a very common thing ha can happen right away. Do you see this as being a physical issue with the hospitals, such as, you know, if we change paint color or the lighting that this could be reduced or, um, or are there other effects, other factors? I want to just know if it's the, it's the actual system. Hospitals for sure are not age-friendly at this time. And I think that is why age-friendly movement, age-friendly initiative is so important. There is a movement called the Geriatric Emergency Department where uh, we are trying to make sure that um, the rooms, the ED rooms, the ED gurneys are age-friendly. We are trying to put in environment which simulates uh, the outside, the, uh, the patient's homes and stuff like that. So certainly the blank walls in the hospital rooms being completely isolated from your surroundings, from your natural environment, the beeps in the monitors, the, uh, the constant buzz are certainly risk factors for delirium. And they just completely dissociate yourself from a sensory perspective. Patients come in, they forget their glasses, they don't have their hearing aids, they don't have any familiar voices or people sitting next to them. And it's a, it's a big challenge. Can you tell us a little bit more about your mind, mobility, and medication program? Absolutely. So the Age-Friendly Health System Initiative wow. is a program that started with the John A. Hartford Foundation, and it's a collaboration with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, and big organizations like American Hospital Association are part of it. And this movement has really uh, grown forward uh, with uh, several big organizations like Kaiser, uh, University of Arizona now being part of it. The model of age-friendly health system is really based on a framework called the four M's. The four M's stand for mentation, mobility, medications, and matters most. And the, we, we, at every point in time, like even in primary care or post-acute care in the hospital setting, we are providing some components of these M's. For example, when we talk about uh, depression in the outpatient setting, we are looking for that, we are screening for that. But the beauty of the four M's is 
that we are asking the 4Ms to be implemented at one single point in time, wherever the patient might be. So for example, in our hospital setting, when we do a geriatrics consult or when we have uh, patients on our uh, acute care for elders floor, we ask our nurses, our physicians to look at the components of care in that 4M framework and we write our notes accordingly. We do the brief confusion assessment method on a daily basis, looking for signs of delirium. We document that in the chart. We look for any medications which could increase risk for an older adult and we document that in the chart in the same place. Then we ask the patient what matters most to them. What are they looking for, for from this hospitalization and how it connects to their long-term and short-term goals. And that goes into the document. And then mobilization, what is their baseline state? How can we prevent loss of function and how we can make sure that they mobilize uh, continuously during that hospital stay is that complete for a model which goes into that care for that patient at that point in time. Yeah, it sounds like whole health, age-friendly healthcare, you know, which we're continuing to add adjectives onto it. The Reimagined Medicine podcast is brought to you by the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. Dr. Johnny Lifshitz serves as the director of the Translational Neurotrauma Research Program, which is a joint venture through Barrow Neurological Institute at Phoenix Children's Hospital and the Department of Child Health at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, and the Phoenix Veterans Affair Healthcare System. Dr. Katie Bright is the chair of the Curriculum Committee and Associate Dean of Clinical and Competency-Based Education at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. She is a family physician practicing at Bayless Integrated Healthcare. Welcome back to the Reimagined Medicine podcast. We're talking about age-friendly medicine with Dr. Agarwal. Dr. Agarwal, a question for you. So we have themes in our curriculum here at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. And they might, you know, a couple theme examples are ethics, we have biomedical informatics. Um, one of our themes is geriatrics. And so the themes transcend the four years of curriculum. So they are both vertically and horizontally integrated. So for example, we might be talking about a simple UTI together at one of our didactic sessions for the clerkships. And of course, we're gonna to wanna to make it into a more complicated UTI and talk about a geriatric patient. And you know, they present so differently. Sometimes it might just be confusion. And then overnight, they can be Eurosceptic if we don't keep our, our you know, feelers out when we're diagnosing our geriatric population. So I guess my question is, do you have any pearls or specific air, content areas that you think that absolutely, no matter what, every single future physician that graduates from the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, regardless of specialty, should take with them into their uh, medical practice? Absolutely. No, that's a great question, Katie. Um, the one thing that I teach my residents is when they say, oh, this is because of age. You wanna take one step back. When you say that this is because of age, you really wanna know what is normal aging. And that's where gerontology and geriatric medicine connect together. Gerontology is the study of normal aging and geriatric medicine is applying the principles of normal aging and knowing what is abnormal and providing the medical care related to that. So whenever a medical student or a teacher or uh, anyone is, thinks about, oh, this is just normal aging, this person is confused because this is part of normal age or he can't walk because this is normal age, that's probably not right. And you need to think about 
is there some process going on which is causing this person to get to that stage? Frailty is a perfect example. We talk about frail older adults all the time. Whenever we hear the word older adults, sometimes we hear the word frail older adults. We have to be careful because all older adults are not frail. Frailty is a phenotypic or physical cognitive decline that happens because of several insults to the body over time because of either disease processes, comorbid conditions, or other things which causes that person to lose the ability to fight a new insult, and that's frailty. But connecting frailty as a normal part of aging is probably not right. Thank you. That's a great pearl for all of our, for all of our training physicians. Follow-up question for our already practicing physicians who might be listening. Can you give us some advice about how to make sure that our areas of practice are age-friendly? Absolutely. So age-friendly initiative really wants everyone to be age-friendly, to be able to provide age-friendly care. It's not just geriatricians who should be providing age-friendly care, but any person who is taking care of an older adult in their practice should be able to provide age-friendly care. The mantra of age-friendly care is, again, the four M's. There are several designations that you can apply for for being part of this age-friendly health system initiative. There are two statuses. One is the participant status, where as long as you can show that you are connecting the forums for your care for your patients, then you can send a report to the age-friendly health system um, initiative and they will give you the participant status. Very easy to do. Their information is available on the website. You just have to fill out a simple survey-like form it takes less than five minutes, and then they give you the participant status based on the description that you provide them. After you complete that participant status based on how you are doing at your facility, they will ask you to um, send them uh, the number of cases that you have provided age-friendly care to, and then based on that description, they will provide you a care exemplar status or a care excellence status. And that gives you the designation to be able to teach other people how to provide age-friendly care. So from that perspective, the four M's of care, mind, mobility, medications matters most, as you can provide at a single setting, in your clinic, in your post-acute setting, and it can be provided by nurses, it can be provided by physicians, it doesn't have to be a group of people specific to that population, it can be anyone. So that is what, what my message would be, to your viewers that they can provide age-friendly care, go to the website, age-friendly health systems, and they have a ton of information there to make that happen. Excellent, that's a great, thank you. That's a great way to add value to a provider's office to be able to, to demonstrate what they're doing. For example, at Banner Health, they have the highest and best use award. Um, and we just put in a request for uh, improving our geriatric emergency department to be designated as a level one uh, geriatric emergency department, where we are asking for renovations in our emergency department so that we can have murals uh, re replicative of uh, big landscapes, have um, uh, bright lighting available during daytime hours, and then uh, dim lights uh, in the evening time, have uh, chairs available where, we, where a caregiver can recline um, uh, to, support the, uh, to support the patient have um, um, uh, special equipment like denture boxes and everything easily available to the patient so that they don't lose their dentures. Feeding is so important. They need to enjoy the taste. They need to have their dentures. It's easily lost. 
having hearing aids available, having the glasses available. So small things like that can make a big difference. Having a big analog clock is part of the quality metrics for a geriatric emergency department. The reason being, if older adults can see the time, they can actually connect to what's going on in the world. So simple things like that can make a big difference. It doesn't have to be a big renovation, even just painting the walls nice, having um, a nice soothing environment there, having big analog clocks, connecting to that can be valuable. Are there some technology, either algorithms or uh, databases or systems that you like that even help with things like population health, identifying risk, making sure we can help keep our um, elderly patients safe? Absolutely. Um, and that's a great question. Uh, the EMRs that we have, um, um, I don't think they have information which caters specifically to older adults. So delirium, for example, is a common symptom that we see in the hospital setting. But the tests that we do for delirium, for example, the confusion assessment method requires a nurse or a physician or a person trained in that test to provide that, that test. There are several ways that we can look at information that is placed in the EMR by several people at point of care. For example, nurses document all the time how the patient is doing, what, what their verbal response is, what their orientation is, what their neurological status is. If we combine those metrics together, we can actually find some signs for early detection of delirium using EMR. That is something that we are developing here at uh, Banner University. We are developing a score called NOVAT score which we published last year as an abstract at American Geriatric Society, where we were able to show that using technology like this, we can actually uh, pick up early signs of delirium. So there is just so much room in regards to technology to make this happen. I wanna shift gears for just a second, because all the suggestions that we've talked about are re really urban focused, but we have a very large rural population. We're known we, Arizona as a state, are known for um, being a respite for snowbirds, as, and they don't all come to Phoenix. They come to rural areas. Do you envision a world where we might have geriatric urgent care centers? Do, are those needed, or what are the risks and, uh, and other opportunities that are out there in the rural areas for geriatric medicine and healthy Absolutely. aging? Absolutely. Um, so we have 7,000 practicing geriatricians in the country right now. We have 35,000 cardiologists. We have 50,000 to 70,000 hospital medicine physicians. We have almost 100,000 pediatricians. I don't think having a geriatrician run in urgent care is going to be possible anytime soon. In 2035, like you said, Johnny, uh, we're gonna have more older adults than younger people less than 18 years of age. It's just impossible to bridge that gap to have geriatricians providing urgent care. And that is why this age-friendly health system movement is so important because we have to have physicians be trained in providing age-friendly care. So when you have urgent care, they can become an age-friendly health system themselves by applying the 4M framework of care at that point of care. That is what is needed at this point. No, I love that because the same way Katie introduced the idea that we have these longitudinal themes that track for four years through our uh, medical school curriculum, you're talking about age-friendly healthcare, the four M's essentially starting even with pediatrics and working its way through the entire healthcare system. Absolutely. And when you talk about the provider shortages and the shortages of geriatrics, it's just so important. It really is imperative. It's all hands on deck to be ready to care 
appropriately and compassionately for our aging population. Absolutely. I have a question. I have one question about uh, Medicare and just maybe educating us on how Medicare plays a role as we strive to give our best possible care to our aging population. Absolutely. We need insurance uh, for sure. As we grow older, risk for disease increases. And um, uh, it's important that we have uh, good healthcare insurance. And Medicare certainly is able to provide that resource to our older adults. It's uh, something that uh, uh, we certainly should value and be able to uh, encourage uh, our um, older adults to be able to apply for Medicare. There are several Medicare plans. Uh, the system can get very complicated. There are uh, um, advocates in the community. There are centers for um, uh, aging. There is uh, area agency on aging, which can provide several resources to seniors to navigate the complex healthcare systems we have, including Medicare, so that they can get the benefit of that. Thank you for sharing those resources. I think my patients struggle. It's very confusing. Uh, it's confusing for me when I try to help navigate. So I can only imagine. So thanks for sharing those resources. Absolutely. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking with you, Dr. Agarwal. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insight, your experience. It's just been a wonderful discussion. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Katie, this was quite an informative discussion as uh, we have come to learn there are so many outstanding faculty members and healthcare heroes around us here in Phoenix and associated with the College of Medicine Phoenix. Um, in particular, I was just thrilled to hear the way that Dr. Agarwal was talking about a movement towards dissecting the electronic healthcare records of individual patients, combining that potentially with some of the information provided by uh, uh, patients' loved ones about their status to be able to more rapidly and more accurately detect delirium. And this delirium that can occur by literally an accident drawing you into the hospital, into this sterile environment, this uninformative, uninteresting environment, and within 24 hours, your mentition is, is fading very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And uh, when our residents may come up and say, oh, this patient's not doing well because of their age, well, perhaps it's because of where they are, not when Absolutely. they are. That, that resonated so much with me. I found it just riveting to know how we can start to use technology, but the advances and the, the focus that we're trying to make, um, and they've been slow and it's, it's wonderful to see them coming around because within 24 hours, sending an elderly patient who's already sick into a state of delirium and knowing that that's probably gonna increase their hospitalization, increase unnecessary things like catheterization and things that will make them even sicker is really important. Uh, and, I, and I loved uh, what you said earlier, Johnny, which resonated a lot with me when everyone needs to be aware in our residents, all of our providers, regardless of area of specialty to understand that concept of normal aging, that really hit home with me because there is no diagnosis normal aging, right? I mean, we need to take a step back and understand what was this patient's baseline and determine really what's going on with them because their advocates and their family members and the people who know them best can tell us their baseline and we can determine what's normal versus abnormal when we're diagnosing them. I thought that was a really huge and important pearl that Dr. Agarwal shared with us. 
And I also like the way uh, he gave us those four M's, the mm -hmm. mind, the mobility, the medication, and what matters most. And that's not just for our geriatric or our elderly population, uh, specifically in these times of the COVID pandemic. You know, you, we want to make sure our mind's in the right place. We want to make sure that we're moving around a little bit, get all the systems activated. We wanna make sure that medication, whether it's food, nutritional supplements or, or uh, prescription medication are balancing what we need. And then we also take a breath and say, hey, what matters most to me now or perhaps over the next couple hours? And let me focus on that and get some reward from that. And that is the definition of healthy aging is taking care of all of those systems because they are interconnected. Absolutely, the most holistic approach. And, uh, and even the things that matter most in the, in the moment in the hospital, meaning you know, he mentioned things like having access to your dentures, eyeglasses, being able to hear all your senses. I mean, those are the things that are gonna set our um, aging population up for success during their hospitalization. And then like you said, beyond, making sure that we're trying to return them to their normal, um, environment that matters most, a little harder, like you mentioned in COVID, right? Because we're all isolated, but definitely trying to focus on the present and then transitioning back to, to what matters most to them at discharge as well. Yeah, then overall, as I think through all the discussions that we had on air and off air with Dr. Agarwal, what caught my attention was the simplicity of the approach. So when we asked, hey, what could a single provider do? It wasn't destroy your entire practice and restart it. He said, go online, fill out this survey and start to see patients with a different mindset. When you reach a particular mile milestone, you achieve certain recognition levels, recognizing that Banner University Medical Center in Phoenix has achieved the highest level by this particular mm -hmm. recognition. But he said, anyone can do it. Like you just got to change your mindset. And that's important because we're all needed, all hands on deck. We have an aging population and we should all be embracing this concept and this model of care so that our, our elderly patients can age gracefully and we can provide care with compassion. To put you on the spot, Katie, what one thing are you going to take to reapply to your, your practice? <laughs> what I'm going to take is the four M's and I'm going to immediately see how we can, uh, register as a friendly, an age-friendly care center. So that'll be one of my main objectives when I take this back. And I actually have a provider meeting tomorrow morning. So I plan on taking it straight to the floor. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to take with me a, a view that um, our elderly population, which is everybody on the planet, because it may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be in a couple decades, but we're all going to be elderly. And we just have to recognize that each one of us has the potential to live to our fullest. And uh, as long as we take into consideration what matters most, we're going to be in a good position. That's great, Johnny. I wish we could go on and on. But unfortunately, again, our time is up. Lift shits out like a well-functioning GI system. Bright out like a good night's sleep. The Reimagine Medicine podcast is brought to you by the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. Join us again as we highlight aspects of clinical care, education, and research in an ongoing endeavor to reimagine medicine. Our podcast team is Dr. Katie Bright, Dr. Johnny Lifshitz, Beth Smith, and the media production team at the UA College of Medicine, Phoenix. 
Our theme song, Dungeon of Return Days, was written and recorded by Midair Machine. The song is accessible on freemusicarchive.org and used under the CC BYSA 4.0 license.